Good morning. Happy New Year. Before I get started this morning, I'd like to read a card on behalf of Bobby Morton Jr.'s family. Uh, that's um, Brother Frank and Miss Teresa's uh, brother and brother-in-law. It says, Two Pals Chapel, thank you for your prayers during Bobby's illness and during this difficult time. We appreciate your visits and thank you for your food. Um, please accept this donation on behalf of Bobby um, and behalf of our family and for your help in, in your ministry. Um, that's from the family. And we'll continue to pray for them as well. Um, it's good to be back in the house of the Lord. I missed you guys very much last week as I was on vacation with my family. Uh, much needed rest, though I didn't get much rest. Um, that bug flu thing kind of caught me right after Christmas and lingered up until uh, this past week. So uh, I've been recovering, but missed you guys greatly and uh, missed being here for uh, the baptism and for the proclamation of God's word last week. But it's good to be back. Um, if you will, turn with me to Ezra chapter 7. I don't know if you're anything like me, but when the new year comes, I tend to set goals or as we like to call them, New Year's resolution. Anyone else do that? Anyone else from 2018 set those goals and did anyone achieve those goals? I got none. I got one taker in the building. Uh, congratulations. Most of us will set these goals or these resolutions and we start off well and somewhere it says that somewhere um, the stats say somewhere uh, the 1st of February most of us have derailed from our resolutions. And I wonder uh, how often we set these resolutions and by our own willpower and our own strength, we hope to achieve those. Well, willpower and strength of our own will only last us so long. So I want to ask this question as we continue in this message this morning. How many of you would look back on 2018, whether you met your resolutions or not, and would say this uh, about the year? Um, a, it was a good year, or B, I'm glad that year was over. Many people are saying, man, I'm glad 2018 is over. But I ask this question as we head into 2019, what, what if we could say that we could have a good year in 2019? How many of us would say, man, sign me up for that? i got like a few takers in the building, all right? How many of us would want to say this about 2019? That the good hand of God was on us. Like if we get to December of 2019 and we look back and we would say to ourselves, man, even through the hard times and the good times, the, the, the statement that God's good hand was on me, that would be our claim for 2019. Anyone in the building? Well, I want to offer that to us this morning. That can be true for every single one of us this morning. But what will be true about this, the good hand of the Lord will not be because of anything what we have done, but because of all that He has done. But He's going to show us in this text that Jared just read to us some ways that we can say the good hand of the Lord was on us. It comes out of the book of Ezra. Uh, Ezra chapter 7. And Ezra and Nehemiah go back to... And back in the in the Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah were given to us to show us that Israel had fallen on hard times. Anyone feel like that in the room today? 
And so Israel is coming into this place and it's, it's obliterated. The temple is gone. There's nowhere for the people of God to worship and to praise God. Their land has been taken from us. The majority of God's chosen people are cast away into exile. And then God brings these two men, Ezra and Nehemiah, to speak the words of God to God's people to give them hope. And what Nehemiah does, we talked about this about a year ago, Nehemiah comes back to the city of Jerusalem and his heart is broken because he sees the wall of Jerusalem is destroyed. And he sets his heart to rebuild the walls to give God's people a place to go back and worship God. And Ezra is a part of that uh, uh, story. And it says this in the book of Ezra. That he was given to the people of God to bring them back to worship God. Now, what you have to know is these two things are going on in this time. There's both this internal conflict with the people of God. That God's people had lost their sense of identity, their sense of unity. They had no leader. They're in disarray. And so internally, they're lost as lost can be. But not only internally are they lost as a people of God, externally they are lost. They have this persecution coming from them from wicked kings. And they had been taken into exile, into captivity, and they began to be polluted. You can look at Daniel, the life of Daniel. Daniel is one of these men that were brought into exile and retrained how to live life. And he was uh, trying to be brainwashed to serve these wicked pagan kings. And that's what all of Israel is experiencing. So there's internal conflict and there's external conflict. I think that can be true for every one of us in the building this morning. This, this coming year, here's the great promise. You will fight, face hardships. Every one of us in the building this year will face hardship, whether it's internal conflict or external conflict. We know that because God's Word is true. God says if we serve Him, you will be persecuted. He's going to send persecution. One of my mentors says it this way. You're, you're either going into persecution, you're in persecution, or you're coming out of persecution, about to go back into persecution. So that's a Hallmark card for you to start the year. It's not a bestseller, but it's true for all of us. And so what happens when persecution comes, Satan wants us to drift away. And the places, I think, three primary places, we're going to look at that this morning, three primary places that our hearts begin to drift when persecution comes are in our holiness, in our community, and last, in our mission, what God has called us to. That's what happened to the people of Israel. God's people had begun to drift away from God. They were no longer God's holy people. They had drifted. Their hearts were far from God in exile. And that's, that's the whole story of the Old Testament. That the people of God rebel against God. God sends them into exile so that God can woo their hearts back to Him. I think that's so true for us. And so I want to caution us this year that we must set up boundaries so our hearts do not drift from the holiness that God's called us to. The second thing I must caution us is this. We must not drift from our community. See, what God would want to happen here is for us to be a family, a community, 
to be on his mission to, to go and proclaim the word of God wherever he sends us. But Satan knows that if we get to be a community that lives on mission in our holiness, that his plan is going to be thwarted. And so he's going to attack our community. He's going to want to divide us. And so we must fortify ourselves in God to protect what God has given to us called the church. And lastly, we will drift from the call of God on our lives, from the mission that God has called us to. And here at Powell's Chapel, the mission of God that God has called us to do is twofold. To know Him with all that we have and to make Him known. But when persecution comes, we'll drift away from what God has called us to back on our own mission to get life back the way we want it to. And that's what was happening here in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so church, today's point is this. We must fight against drifting. Drifting from holiness, drifting from community, and drifting from mission. And so I ask this question to us. What will it take us to fight against drifting? You see, that's what God had called Ezra to do to the people of God is to call them back to call them back to holiness, to call them back to community, and to call them back on mission. But yet we see how God called Ezra to do this. It's found in this chapter. This chapter in chapter 7 is the first time that we see Ezra mentioned in the book of Ezra. That God had been preparing God's people through chapter 6, and now chapter 7, Ezra comes onto the scene. And it says this about Ezra in verse Six, it says this, for the hand of the Lord, his God was on him. And then it says this in verse nine, uh, part B, for the good hand of his God was on him. So I asked the question, how is the good hand of God on this man? And the question is for us, how can God's good hand be on us for 2019? I believe that we see it clearly in the text. Three ways. But the first is this. It's all centered in this one word. For Ezra set his heart. You see that in the text? That, that Ezra had set his heart and mind to do three things. And so you've got to ask yourself, what does that word set mean here in the Hebrew? The word set means this. To be firm, to be established, and to be stable. I don't know if you've ever uh, gone fishing, but sometimes we uh, tend to want to drift. Right? You, you know, kind of just go out in the middle of the lake and you drift around hoping you're going to catch something. But, but if you go deep sea fishing, anyone ever been deep sea fishing? I've been one time and um, don't really remember much of it, but um, losing all of it, if you know what I mean. I'm very prone to seasick. But I do remember this. I remember that we got way out into the sea and there's this school of fish. And so what did the captain do? He set the anchor so that we wouldn't drift all over and get lost. But see, something about setting an anchor, it's what you set the anchor in that matters. You see, if you just set the anchor and it doesn't grab hold of anything, you're still going to drift. And so what did Ezra set his heart in? 
That's what matters. Look where Ezra set his heart. Three places that we see that he set his heart. And I believe that we must set our hearts in these three places if we do not want to drift from the holiness of God in our lives, from being in community with one another as the church that God's called us to, and the mission that God has called us to. We must set our hearts these three places. I'll read them and then I'll go back and teach through each one of them. For Ezra had set his heart to what? Study the law of God, to do the law of God, and to teach the law of God. And so what does it mean for us to study the Word of God this morning? You see, this is a call on every believer in the building. It's not a call on myself. It's not a call on Frank. It's not a call on the pastors. It's a call for every believer that we must study the Word of God. That we must dive into God's Word on our own. Again, if all you're doing is coming here for a 35-minute sermon every week to study God's Word, you are malnourished. If all you do for a whole year is eat one time, once a week, you will die. So I challenge you. You want to not live? Then, or just eat once a week. Just come here on Sunday and get the Word of God and then go have a good lunch and wait all the way to next Sunday. Tell me how you feel. You're not going to make it to August. You might not make it to Easter. But somehow we think we can do that with God's Word. And yet God's command to us in the Scriptures here in Ezra that if we don't want to lose our holiness and wander away from the holiness of God, we must set our heart to study the Word of God. This is the greatest gift that God has ever given to His people. It's His very words. This is not a book of collection of thoughts and ideas and man, this might be the way to live life. It might not be. I'll get to that in a moment. This is God's treasure trove of who He is declaring Himself to us, His people, through His Word. This is about Him and Him alone. So we must study God's Word. And so I'll ask this question and pose this challenge to us. How do we study God's Word? There's a great book. Um, if you want it, come find me. I'll get it, a copy for you. It's by Donald Whitney. He's out of Southern Seminary. He wrote this book called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. And he lists these 11 things that we must do to have disciplined lives when it comes to following God that God called us to. And one of them is this, to study God's Word. And this is how he says, I'm in there to study God's Word. We must be hearers of God's Word. Luke chapter 11, verse 28 says this. Jesus Himself said this. But He said, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. You ever want to hear the Word of God? Anyone ever thought, man, I, I want to hear God's voice. Read the Bible out loud. Let me, let me say it again. Everyone wants to hear God speak, right? Then open this Bible and start reading it to yourself out loud. This is the very words of God. You will hear God speak to you if you read God's Word. 
God's primary way to communicate to us is not rainbows and unicorns. It's God's Word. And so if you want to hear God, open the Bible and read it out loud. Go in your car. Get an app. Turn it on to where someone else is reading the Word out loud to you. We in this generation have no excuse not to hear the Word of God spoken directly to us. We all have a cell phone. There are apps upon apps upon apps to just simply hear the Word of God. And God says, blessed are those who hear and keep it. Here's another verse from Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. He says this, until now, I come, devote yourselves to what? The public reading of the Scriptures and to teaching. See, one of the primary ways that God has given us to hear His Word is called the local church. If you do not have a church home, please consider Powell's Chapel as your church home. We are faithful to God's Word to preach it and proclaim it every Sunday. That is what I call expository preaching. I'm not here to give you a bunch of good ideas from God's Word. I'm here to proclaim directly to you expositorily what the Word of God says. I promise this. As long as I'm in this pulpit, you will not hear my thoughts and my ideas. You will hear the Word of God. As long as Frank is here preaching in this pulpit, you will hear the words of God. Not some good ideas. You want some good ideas? Go to another church. You want the Word of God? Stay here. You will be fed. Because we're obedient men to teaching the words of God. I would say this. Not only hearing the words of God, we also must continue to read the Word of God. You have to, on your own, read the Word of God. You know, many people, there's a, a LifeWay just did a research about the people of God engaging into God's Word. If you saw the numbers, it would blow your mind. Only 8% of every evangelical believer that they serve out out of 10,000 people, only 9% of those people had read the Bible cover to cover. The majority of people would say this about the Bible. I've only read a few stories out of the Bible. 30% of evangelical believers. We're talking about guys and girls that love the Lord, that claim to know Jesus, would say that they spend any amount of time engaged in God's Word on their own. That means 70% of people that claim to know Jesus don't spend any time reading the Word of God for themselves. That's why this month and this year, every month, at the beginning of the month, on that back table, I will prepare a reading plan for us as the church to walk. And so there will be no excuse. I don't know where to start. I'm going to give you on a silver platter, here's what we, the church, are going to do as the people of God. This is how we, as the people of God, will engage the Word of God. It's on that back table. Please do not leave here without grabbing a copy so that you can just get engaged in reading the Word of God. God, here's what I would say as you begin to engage in reading God's Word. 
through primary practical ways. This year, find a time to read God's Word. Set time apart to read God's Word. And here's the next application. Take bite-sized pieces. If you're spending no time in God's Word today, you will fool yourself to think, I'm going to go tomorrow and spend an hour in God's Word. Just take 10 minutes. And every section that's on that piece of paper, it's one chapter. You can read that in five minutes or less. I'm asking you, take just five minutes a day for the next 365 days to engage God's Word and see what God will do with those five minutes. Here's the promise that I know to be true, both in my life and the lives of other people. When we start off small, it gives us a hunger for more. But so many of us, it's like Cedar when he was a little kid, I mean a little baby, he's still a little kid. He would come to the dinner table and just try to eat all that he could. And he'd get to a place that he'd stuffed his mouth full and could not eat or swallow and he'd spit it all back out. My great fear for us is that we try to do that with God's Word. Take bite-sized pieces. And as you grow and mature and you move from milk to solid food, God will give you the spiritual endurance to handle His Word. And so this year, take five minutes a day to set out to engage God's Word. The next one is this. It comes out of Psalm chapter 119.11. I have stored up the Word of God in my heart that I might not sin against you. I challenge you this. Begin to meditate and memorize Scripture. Put God's Word into you. Don't just read it. Don't just study it. But begin to memorize the Word of God. You see, I, th- I think we've done this for so long here in America. We've taken this book for granted. You see, all over the world, you, me, if you go into my office right now, I promise you, and this is pitiful in so many ways, there, there is a shelf just of Bibles in my office. When you go around the world, there's people that have never seen the Word of God. They don't, they're not able to put their hands on the Word of God. But I promise this, when they get their hands on the Word of God, even if it's just a few pieces of paper, they memorize it and memorize it and memorize it and memorize it and store it and store it and store it and store it. You see, I get the great privilege every day to work with guys that have been in prison. And one of the things they do in prison is take their Bibles away from them. That seems kind of stupid to me. Put a bunch of criminals and take a Bible that shows them how who God is and who they are and their great need for God. Take that from them. It seems stupid to me, but, you know, I'm just a normal man. But with the men that have come to us that have gotten their Bibles taken, they've confiscated pages of the Bible. And they've memorized those pages of the Bible. So that, and they get put in solitary confinement and have nothing. What are they doing all day, sitting by themselves in a cell, regurgitating the word of God? The last one that Donald Whitney says about studying the word of God is this: We must learn the word of God. 
We can't just study it. We can't just read it. And we can't just memorize it. But now we must learn the Word of God. You see, you'll learn the Word of God here in this 35, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. But I encourage you, like Frank said a few moments ago, you really want to learn the Word of God, get to Sunday school. Get up an hour early. You will learn the Word of God in ways that I cannot practically teach a group of 60 people. That's what the, the, the groups are for, to break up so that you can begin to engage the Word of God, to ask questions to the teacher. See, you, you aren't going to raise up and start asking me questions while I'm preaching. That's just awkward. I mean, if you need to do that, go ahead. I'll tell you we'll meet afterwards. But that's what Sunday school is for. That's what Sunday nights are for. That we've designed small groups so that you can come learn the Word of God. We're going to teach you how to learn the Word of God. So if we're going to study the Word of God, we must read the Word of God, we must learn the Word of God, we must memorize the Word of God, and we've got to continually to read the Word of God. Which I think leads to the next point. And this is what he says. Ezra did all those things. But then it said this, and to do the Word of God. We must obey the Word of God. I think this is the greatest hindrance to the church in America. And I think it starts because we don't read the Word of God. Therefore, we cannot completely obey the Word of God. See, we get to these places because, and then it culturally starts happening. Culture starts dictating what we to believe and what we're to think and how we're to think. Like, how, how do we get 60 years ago all the way to today that gay marriage is okay? Because we got away from reading the Word of God. God's Word is very clear on sin and what sin is. But we, the American church, the Christians, have gone away from this and letting culture dictate what we believe and think. Why? Because we don't engage God's Word on our own. Therefore, we cannot obey God's Word. And therefore, we think we're obeying God's Word because some crafty preacher said it that way and it sounded good. Well, he tells us in 1 Timothy, there's going to be people that stand in a pulpit that all they do is going to tickle your ears and make it sound good, but it's not the Word of God. And how do we know if it's the Word of God? It's only by you studying the Word of God. I pray all day, every day, that everything I present to you, you're going home on Sunday afternoon and saying to yourself, is what Todd said true or not? We must obey the Word of God. Here's what R.C. Sproul says about studying the Word and obeying the Word. He says it this way. Here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is we are simply lazy. See, God's Word is simple. I know it's hard to understand. I know I've been through training. I know there's still times I'll read the Word of God and think, I don't get it. Well, who gets it? God does. Which pushes me on my face before God and says, God, help me understand Your Word. Do you think He wants to withhold that from me? No, He wants to bless me with that. 
He wants to, to bless me with understanding. He wants to bless me with righteousness. He wants to bless me with goodness. And it comes primarily through His Word. But I must engage God's Word for that to happen. We must obey God's Word. John 14, verse 15. Turn with me there this morning. In your pew Bibles, that's page 901. Here's what Jesus said. Verse 15. If we claim that you love me, you will keep my commandments. God, through His Son, said if we love Him, we will obey what? Commandments. You want to know if you love God truly? Ask yourself, do you obey His commandments? James chapter 1, verse 22 says this, Be doers of the Word, not only hearers deceiving yourselves. Don't just hear the Word of God, but begin what you hear, begin to do the Word of God. And lastly, not only are we to study the Word of God, not only are we to obey the Word of God, but what does Ezra tell us? This is for every one of us in the building that claims to be a Christ follower this morning. We are to set our hearts to what? Teach the Word of God. If you're a believer here this morning, hear me out. I should not be the only teacher in the room. Frank should not be the only teacher in the room. Every single one of you that claims to know God and to love God ought to teach God's Word. How do we know that? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. This is the Great Commission. This is the very last words that Jesus tells His disciples before He goes back into heaven. And He says this. In verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Me. Go therefore and what? Make disciples. Not converts. God never called us to make converts. God called us to make disciples. How do we make disciples? It's by this, that we engage with them with what? God's Word. Therefore, He does not say just make converts and send them on their way. Make converts and pray for them. Make converts and what? He says make disciples and what? Teach them. All that I have commanded or taught you. So if you're a believer this morning that claims to love Jesus, you are to teach the Word of God. Which means you must and I must Proclaim the Word of God to lost people so that therefore I can make disciples. And in making disciples, then I myself don't leave it on the church to teach them. You who draws and are used by God to bring people to faith are to teach them the Word of God. See, I think teaching has gotten this bad and misconstrued reputation that teaching must look like this. It must look like a man in a pulpit 
preaching or proclaiming God's word, or I must look like a Sunday school teacher, or I must look like a small group leader. That's not what teaching is. You see, I don't want any of you being the primary teacher to my children. I want to be the primary teacher to my children. And I promise this, I do not have a pulpit at my dinner table. But I teach them the Word of God at the dinner table. I sit with them and I open the Bible and I walk through what, what we're calling uh, catechism. just means simple phrases that their little minds can begin to understand. So I'm the primary teacher. I do not stand up, put a tie on, and, and open God's Word like this to Tennyson and Steer. They think I've been ridiculous. But what I do do is I sit with them in the floor and begin to talk to them about the things of God. That's what teaching is. Teaching is simply passing on information that I already know. So I beg the question, are you not teaching because you do not know? Teaching means I'll walk alongside my neighbor and walk them through just the basic fundamental beliefs of what it means to be a Christ follower. Teaching means I'll take a group of young men and walk with them. There's a ton of kids in BJ's classroom that need older men to walk with them. There, there's kids in our elementary school program that need adults. Jerry cannot do it on our own. Every single person, if you are a Christ follower, Hear me loud and clear. You ought to be teaching. And if you're a teacher, you'll know this to be true. The more you teach, the more you gain. I'm a much better student of the Word of God because I teach the Word of God. You see, when I come to the pulpit, this is over 10 to 15 hours of preparing my mind and heart you think I just wing it in the back? Like, man, I got man, I gotta go do something. Jared, what, what should we do, bro? Man, this is me setting my mind and my heart to God's word. I've been setting my mind and the heart to God's word. What we're gonna teach through the spring. I started that last summer. Reading God's word, digesting God's word, thinking about God's word. How does this interact with me? How will this interact with your people, God? Like the schedule for now to, to Easter is set. We're going to teach. You want to know what we're teaching? It's simple. We're teaching First Timothy word for word. We'll be in it 20 weeks. Gas if you must. But I want you to walk away knowing what does God have for us through the book of First Timothy? It's a pastoral letter. It matters. Not the ideas in it, but the words that Paul spoke to young Timothy matters and so for you please engage god's word here's what my buddy bj that comes and does uh, our revivals for us he'll be coming again this year in october he says this about these three things studying without doing is simply intellectualism you're gonna have a big fat brain we don't need those he says this doing without studying is Simply immaturity and emotionalism. You ever been with someone that taught you something and you're like, man, you really don't know what you're talking about. And the last one is this. Teaching without doing is hypocrisy. We must study, we must do, and we must 
teach. So the application for this morning is this. We must anchor ourselves in the Word of God so that we do not drift from God. Every person in this building must fight against drifting from holiness. We do that in this way. We do that by engaging in God's Word. You want to be more holy? Simply spend time in His Word. If you're in His Word, I promise this, you will never, ever drift from holiness. Because when you begin to drift, this brings correction is what it tells us in Timothy. The second is this. Every one of us must fight the drift from community. That is what Sunday morning is so important for. That is what we gather in this place is to build community. And we build community not around songs, not around donuts, not around coffee, not around Sunday school, not around the five minutes that we get to meet and greet one another, which I love to hear, but we simply come every Sunday in community that we as a community of God's people would engage God's Word. That is the primary reason that we're here on Sunday is this, not to check off a box. And the last one is this. Every person here can and must fight not to drift from the mission of God and what God called us to. How do we know what God called us to? God has called us to know Him and to make Him known. And if you want to know Him and to make Him known, you must anchor yourself in the Word of God. And so for us, as we come today, as we start this new year 2019, how many of us in the building this morning would want to say this at the end of 2019? The good hand of God was on me. If you want that to be said in your life, put God to the challenge this year and do these three things. Study the Word of God daily. Do the Word of God daily. And teach the Word of God daily. You see, there's one little word in this text that we must circle, highlight, underline, star, whatever you need to do. For the good hand of God was on him, Ezra. For Ezra set his mind. You see, that word for also means because. The good hand of God was on Ezra because he was faithful to know the Word of God, to do the Word of God, and to teach the Word of God. You want the good hand of God on you? Do those three things this year. Let us pray.